Like, all right, Facebook's doing what it should do. Mm, got one listener already. <laughs> on Facebook. We're on air on both. No, we, we, we got one listener on the radio, but that, that might be Rick, right? Okay, time for the jingle. This book began as a manuscript written by Frederick S. Peirce. The material was developed and worked over by Paul Goodman and put to practical application by Ralph Hefferlein. However, as it stands now, it is truly the result of the cooperative efforts of the three authors. What began as the work of one author ended up as that of three, each of us equally responsible. We have had in common one purpose, to develop a theory and method that will extend the limits and applicability of psychotherapy. All right, we're live. I'm still hearing the jingle. It's time, time delay. Evening, Thomas. How are oh, you? Good evening. Good. Well, no, sort of. I'm, I'm so so. Yeah. I was just realizing it's been so long that we've been on the radio. Well, it's how it felt at least. That I had to check, like, what was the last show? Do you remember? Yeah, we did the Belarus show. Yeah, indeed. We were speaking to our Belarusian colleagues. Mm. Yeah. It's, um, it's, be it's, um, not become boring by any means, but I guess it's it's becoming a little. Um, I'm getting used to it, shall yeah. we say? Yeah, true. It's not it's it's not boring at all. Like I, I still feel anxiety um, for it, um, which which depends on how supported I feel, of course. Yeah. Mm. So uh, I'm Thomas. I'm based in Brussels. I'm a I'm a radio show host. Too right you are. Well, at least tonight. <laughs> you say that with a big smile on your face. It's nice to see. Thanks. Mm. And I'm John. I'm um, I'm based at John Gillespie. I'm I'm based in London. Um, I'm a Gestalt practitioner here and a member of New Gestalt Voices. I like how you say you're a member. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It's a community, right? It's a community. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm a founder as well, which I guess is where you're, you're liking me saying I'm a member comes from. But um, we're moving in, in the direction of, of it, it being a um, bona fide organization. Um, um, with with board members and and potentially with um, with some sort of formalized membership. 
Oh, really? Mm. Keeps on growing. Mm. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so shall we, we say something about... Yeah. I see you're holding your chest. You're touching your chest. Mm, not sure. In, indigestion or Could or be. more likely more like more more likely self support. Self support. I, I yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm feeling I'm I'm also feeling well, you, you said you, you do feel anxiety. I'm I'm feeling some anxiety now. Mm -hmm. Um we've um we've we've got a Rick Rick Dove who is a black a performance poet, um, I'm sure, amongst other things, joining us tonight. Um, and um, yeah, he, he's going to he's going to perform some stuff for some some of his um, his work for us. And I think that there's some something about the um, um, so some of the focus of his work around is around race, and, and I and I probably recognize some of my anxieties is around entering a space where we're dialoguing around 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 race i, mm -hmm. I still don't find, find that um straightforward yeah that, probably that, i feel that's helpful for me to acknowledge that also that indeed i feel um the fact of us being two white men having a a black person as a as a guest that that's something that also it makes me feel a bit a little bit more um in like an amateur yeah like i don't really know what i'm doing something like that and so a potential imposter potentially an imposter an imposter meaning um as if I would know what I'm doing, but I don't. Mm. Mm. Do you need to? No, and actually saying it makes it less uh, required also, I feel. And I was reflecting a bit on, well, for reflecting, and it's also because I, I feel it's important to say it, on, on the motive of this this radio and how we've set it up as a as a tool as a medium to uh, bridge gestalt with other environments other uh, communities under co other contexts and so i was realizing that acknowledging what's going on for me and for you might be helpful to support that bridge can you say more well, bridging is about making connection, right? Mm. And so us bringing in how this is for us allows for, allows, uh, facilitates connection. So like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the image of a bridge and seeing how if you want to, if you want to put up a bridge, you need to, um, uh, how, how should I call that in English? Two, two pillars where you, is that, am I saying that right, John? Two pillars where you put the bridge on. 
and if one pillar uh, manifests itself clearly and it's easier to position the bridge on it and to to connect to the other pillar mm. i hope my metaphor makes sense well i i um i mean we 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 touched on this in our conversations before um well, what what comes up what's coming up for me is um is um gestalt um is is a community of sorts and and it has its its norms it has its um uh, its culture if if you like and um and and some, sometimes uh, the very nature of what we're doing through through this um platform through the radio station feels quite challenging in a way because um both for us but also i imagine for our guests because we're we're um building a bridge outside of, <laughs> of this culture and 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 we're we're trained you and i we've been we've had a training in how to um how how <laughs> how, how to bring our presence to situations uh it sounds it sounds it sounds very up my own ass you know how to be aware as if nobody else can be can be aware. <laughs> we've been trained. <laughs> we've been we've been trained, but, but with all that, for me, it comes like quite a lot of anxiety. It's like yeah. like you know, I'm 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 used to sitting down with therapy clients or, or the occasional coaching client because it's almost like they're coming into my room. Then yeah. they work. I've got the power. Yeah, totally. working according to my norms. But if I go out into the world and I try to you know, sell gestalt to a big, big business. I'm very much on their territory. And, yeah. and how do I, how do I do that without being coming across as a complete um, jerk? Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's a, an experience that I can definitely resonate to. Um, and also makes me think about, about tonight and about shows, shows you've done previously, and how it's always a challenge between connecting with the guests and indeed not not imposing a certain way of mm. being on that guest and allowing allowing our guests their own their own ways of being yeah, yeah. in in relation to um in, in relation to race and and having a dialogue about race and across racial racial difference um one way of understanding my anxiety would be to see my anxiety as my, or my additional anxiety as my racism. Okay. Can you elaborate? That the the extent to which I'm um, I, I'm I'm frightened, really. I, I'm, I'm and I'm oh, yeah. I think anxiety comes a lot with with holding, with, with yeah, with with holding that that which I'm not. I'm not confident, comfortable. Yeah. I, I can, I can be seen. I can, I can let out. I can show. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. To me. Mm. I'm curious what Rick, Rick would say about that. Yeah, I'm well, aware. He's. I'm aware you're listening, Rick, and you'll be joining us in the studio. Soon or later. In a few moments. In a few yeah. Moments, yeah. 
It's always good if you have some silence on the radio. Mm. Actually, I feel I've said everything. How about you? Anything else you want to put out there before we invite our guest? Mm. I, I, I'm aware this sometimes when we we meet each other and we we say hello for the first 15 minutes it it doesn't seem a huge amount of time and today yeah. it feels like a lot of time like yeah, you're right. oh yeah i can hear the radio in the back or is that that might be rick yeah, he, he's he's just just joined. Right. Um, there he is. I can see him. <laughs> <laughs> so, we we I mean we can why don't we we could go straight into um, sure. welcoming welcoming Rick, um, subject to him technology working, um, and. Um, we we had the idea of of asking um, Rick to um, introduce himself, as it as it were, uh, through sharing with us a piece of of your poetry, Rick. Um, hey, there you are. Can see you. Um, do you have something ready to go? Um. Yeah. Hi. Hey. Thanks for having me. Um, Start with this. Stoicism in Stockwell. Growing up in London makes for an intimate relationship with the law of large numbers, the nature of random, how some things are inevitable, actually, even the far off ones. And wary of, of the cascade failures of complex systems, we remain stoic with them realize how 1% of a population being sociopaths is more than enough when you live with so many people. Just because you are never more than 10 feet from a rat doesn't mean you can always see them or even recognize one. Growing up black in London makes for an intimate relationship with the law. For in large enough numbers, stop and search stops feeling random, becomes inevitable. And being ever wary of the failures of this system makes for antagonisms. But remaining stoic with them, you grow up, seeing the 1% have too much. And when you live with so people, so many people who don't have enough, sometimes you grow up wanting to tear it all down. Welcome. Welcome. Yeah. Mm. I, was, I was listening, I was thinking, wow, you're saying a lot about yourself already with this first poem. That's my interpretation, of course. But... <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, it's a, I, I interestingly, I, I took uh, A-levels um, early. Um, I was one of those kids. Um, and I had my A-level maths before I was 17. And the law of and statistics and the law of large numbers was always 
something which which fascinated me so actually pandemic has been really interesting watching graphs and trends and all of that sort of thing happening in real time on tv um and actually seeing those those sorts of things but law of nine numbers fascinates me and and the idea that um psychopaths make up about one percent of the population means that all other things being equal there are about seventy thousand psychopaths in london at any given moment which is is a genuine genuinely frightening number um and that kind of inspired that poem um and the idea that once you understand your interconnectedness in things and how you know how probabilities play out certain things are inevitable um and you should probably learn to to deal with the the trends um in a slightly better way because these things will happen For me, there was so much in your in your poem. Um, the the the, the, um, the psychopaths was in the, the first um, stanza, and, and and then there was the sort of the kick around um, um, around stop and stop and search, um, and um, growing up black in 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 Stockwell, um, and I. It sort of stopped me. It stopped me like. <laughs> Like I didn't, I don't know what what to say, and it makes me wonder about. Um, I, I've I've seen you some of your YouTube videos, and 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 you're a performance poet, so it makes me wonder how it, how it how it is to read it on the radio, where there are listeners, but you don't <laughs> you don't see them, you don't hear them. I mean that that's very weird. I mean it's <laughs> that's never not going that's never not going to be weird. It's the um the thing is when, when you read poetry in um in poetry venues most poetry venues um will be poetry will serve alcohol and most poetry events will happen in deep in the evening sort of seven through to eleven or something like that um and people get rowdy uh, so it, it's really weird to read a poem to silence because that just never happens oh really just absolutely never happens there's always someone shuffling or or there's whooping or there's clicking or there's yeah. uh, there, there's always some sort of interaction it's a conversation um more than a than, than a reading um so yeah it's always a bit weird when you don't have that feedback and and i imagine you must write for that feedback i i don't know I like i've seen your book so you your poem exists on the page but it's there are different with i think poetry is poetry is a strange art form in that it is a bit uh, promiscuous with its media it, it kind of exists with all media so you can have it in print or you can have it on video or you can have it performed or you can have it um framed and stuck on a wall or you know uh, it can be over the radio um and if a new media is invented, poetry will find a way to exploit it. Um, so, I guess it. You sometimes you write for the medium, and sometimes you just write a poem, and it and it can work in different media. Mm -hmm. But it, um, there are definitely poems which I've written specifically for an audience because I kind of expect them to make noises at certain points, um, and then there are poems which are kind of 
more design for for the page or more design for the radio where you know, i don't need to have any feedback or you know it's a kind of more passive listening experience so there's a, there's a permit permission in there thomas for be you and i to, to heckle rick what's heckle um, like hey yeah oh yeah 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 indeed yeah. Yeah, I was about to. I just, I just restrained myself. But apparently, that's what we should do, right? <laughs> you're, 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 you're used to that. Oh, very much so. I, I started reading. Um, well, the first poem I read in public. I mean, seriously, reading public. I read at my university bar, at closing time. I think it was closing time. Yeah, yeah I think it must have been chucking out time at the university undergraduate bar. Um, so very drunk people. Um, <laughs> and you kind of yeah it, it i think for me the, the the performance and the poetry and it's there, there's a conversation and a connection to be had i think sometimes it's that which is more more powerful than the words themselves actually so it's kind of it feels nice to have an active audience yeah well that, that brings me to 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 a question i asked you before we we went on on the show like what's your what's your drive to to perform? What's your drive to share your your poetry with uh, with with people? Also, because think, because you said it's not just about about racism; it's also about other stuff that you write. Well, I think for me, it, I mean, I've I've worked in the event sector for as a day job for about twenty years. I've been doing the poetry properly for about six. Um, and when I was working in the event sector, there's lots of boardrooms and lots of conversations that you have in boardrooms where only certain people get to have a voice in a boardroom um, when you're having a conversation. There'll be a meeting of 10, 15 colleagues, and maybe three or four of them will be listened to. So it doesn't matter what your idea is. If it's not coming out of the right set of lips, um, there, then it can be ignored. I think there, there is definitely a case of poetry was a space in which my ideas were my ideas uh -huh. um which was it, it was, was a different experience to one that i've been having in my sort of day job so that became very important to me um and also i just i love the idea of being able to fire up somebody else's imagination it feels a bit like magic um to be able to to have an idea to turn it into words have someone else experience those words and then form the idea in their head it just feels a bit like magic yeah. um so uh yeah so the combination of connection and, and having a voice was the motivation um and then yeah just taking notice of things and thinking oh uh, like noticing the undulation of a pavement and, and talking about erosion that sort of thing it's, it's about details and wanting to convey those details to other people so that they don't miss them yeah, yeah it brings me back to to the experience of just now listening to to your poem and, and how i noticed i was closing my eyes to listen to listen to it better and uh, how indeed it, it impacted me and i was i was uh, sort of imagining the experience of the stop and search and it becoming it becoming obvious and unexpected and, and yeah so it does work the way you you describe it yeah. it does and it's what's what was 
actually going back to sort of the day job there was one straight after seven seven actually in the, the sort of two or three months after the terror attacks on the 7th of july in london i was working out of liverpool street station and they were having sort of a, a sort of it wasn't random because it was a sort of fixed stop and search point at liverpool street sort of every other day or three or four times a week essentially um and they would stop people and search their bags as they got off of, at liverpool street just to show that they were aware of the terror threat um and it became a bit of a running joke in my office because in the space of six weeks i got stopped six times um and no other member of the office got stopped more than once um and it was just the thing of and i was quite stoic about it um because it's happened so many times i've yeah. been stopped and searched or stopped you know with friends in a car or um you know at the barriers at tube stations and all of that sort of thing it becomes part of your life and it becomes a part of um your everyday existence and as a result it, it's not surprising or shocking um and sometimes seeing it through the eyes of other people when they're going you they stopped you again um and being shocked by it you realize that actually you should probably be a little bit more annoyed than you are um but you just kind of got used to it i i um i i was feeling i was feeling kind of aghast as, as you were describing your experience. Um, and, and I, um, maybe I was imagining that you, you were more, more angry than, than, than you, <laughs> than you were or than you, than you are now. But, um, it sort of takes me back to, um, how, how I was initially impacted by, um, by hearing, uh, several of, of your poems and, um, and we, we might ask you to um, to share an, another one of the ones around mm. around race um, in, in in a moment. But for me, your your anger was was palpable. But well, no, but but I I it, I felt connected with you, like like as a white person, I I experienced your anger, but I wasn't um, I wasn't pushed away as I as, as I can be by anger from from people of color into a kind of defensive place I, I i felt really with you um and and i i don't know what you i don't know what you make of of, of that kind of reaction but to me it, it says something about the power and the the, the possibility of, of poetry to um to communicate mm -hmm. experience yeah i think i I try very hard to, I think, it, to take people with me on the journey. So um, I think that there are a couple of pieces which I know that you've seen or, or, or listened to um, where it was very important for me to take the audience with me on the journey. And that's because poetry works in a number of different ways. It's a bit like a fire triangle, I guess. You have the meaning and then you have the audience and you have the poet and you, they all have to kind of serve each other. Um, and if any one of those things is missing, it kind of, if you don't take the audience with you on the meaning, then it's just the poet speaking to themselves. If the audience, if, if the poet doesn't execute it properly, then the, 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 the 
audience will lose the meaning and all of that sort of thing. So they're all kind of codependent features of poetry, um, more so than most other art forms, because you have to know the audience you're speaking to and you have to communicate the idea to them in a way that they get. Sometimes they have to work for it and sometimes you can make it really obvious, but they, you have to communicate that idea to them. You have to reach across the divide and essentially communicate an idea. So it became very important when I started writing the poems about race, knowing that the vast majority of audiences I was going to be performing them in front of were going to be predominantly white audiences that I took the, took the audience with me. So when you write, so when I was writing the poem about, when I write, write the poem about race, sometimes the first draft, I'd look at it and go, oh, that's too angry. Um, or that is too accusatory, or that is, you know, that, that doesn't offer a solution or any hope, or, you know, and you have to go, right, you have to just to fix that a little, because you want to be able to take the audience with you. You don't want to turn them off. If you're in a situation where, um, you're writing a poem about, um, I'm trying to think of one now that I've written recently. Um, if you're writing a poem about Brexit, for example, and you know you're going to be performing it in front of a crowd of all Remainers, for example, um, you can be as angry as you like, <laughs> uh, because they're as angry as you are, uh, for the same reasons. And therefore, you're not going to push them away mm -hmm. if you swear and call government various names. Um, and I think that's very important. You need to know the, the, your relationship to the audience. You need to be aware of that. And you need to be aware of how to communicate across that gap. Yeah. So. Doesn't it? Well, I was going to say, doesn't it? Doesn't it anger anger you as a as a a person of colour having to censor yourself in that way? That's interesting. Just no. before before you respond, it's interesting, John, how you call it censoring, and I'm curious if that's your experience rick if you feel you're censoring yourself no i don't think i have it's, it's, it's interesting i don't think very interesting that people will say things oh you can't say anything anymore you have to censor yourself you have to the political correctness gone mad yeah. and all of these sort of things or these phrases that get sort of banded around and, and things but then you can often talk to somebody and say well you wouldn't say this particular word in the boardroom or at an interview or I bet your mum doesn't even know you swear or you know there are different sets of languages there's different everyone has different personas and different masks that they wear in different situations and everyone has the ability to turn on and turn off language um there is language for the pub and there's language for the boardroom and there is language for being at home with your children um, and everybody has the ability to do that um so i don't see it as censoring myself necessarily it's just a case of finding the language that works in the space mm. and everybody does that mm. and everybody does it naturally. so I find it I find it really actually I find it more offensive when people claim that they can't censor themselves when you know for a while that they can yeah that's when I, I find I find that really tricky when they, when they say oh well you can't say anything anymore mm -hmm. well there were always situations where you didn't say certain things you're not going to walk into a funeral um and start effing and jeffing at the top of your voice at a funeral you just don't there are yeah. certain situations where you know how to censor yourself everybody knows how to do it it's natural 
I, yeah, I appreciate you saying that. And, and as you're saying it, I'm kind of, it, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that as, as Gestalt therapists, we're well trained also in, <laughs> in honing the message to what can be, what can be heard in a, in a particular situation. Yeah. So, you know, there are various ways of saying something to, 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 some, to somebody. And, and it brings me back to, to also your drive for, for sharing your poetry and, um, if it's about connection, then, then you sort of, um, the connection will only benefit from, uh, thinking about who you're connecting to, who you're connecting with. Yeah. Because I, I also, the, my, my first response missing to you talking about how you adapt and, and, and look at your words before you bring them out. My first response also was, and, and you hear, just heard me said, he's, oh, he has to adapt himself. Oh, he has to center himself. But I hear that, 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 that there is a benefit to that. There is a benefit to thinking who is listening to me. Mm. No, absolutely. I think, um, and sometimes I, I have to, I'm going to be perfectly frank and um, a bit cheeky. Uh, there, there have definitely been moments in, in my performance career when I've walked on, like I've been booked to do an event or something and I've, I've come and I've seen who's in the audience and I've seen what the audience makeup is and I felt like, do you know what, they, I'm going to make these people feel uncomfortable um, because they need to be made to feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And some, so sometimes you can, you can change the tone or you can change the set, different poems, and you can communicate something completely different and do it in, in, a, in a way that leaves people enriched but a little bit on edge. And I think sometimes, you know, as, as a performer, you have a duty of care over with your audience, um, you know, give out content warnings and trigger warnings if there are difficult subjects. Um, you have a duty of care to look after people, but you also have, as, as a minority voice, you also have a responsibility to agitate sometimes as well mm -hmm. when you get a platform. Um, and sometimes when you see a room which needs to be agitated, the urge comes over you to, to um, be a little bit more um, irritating, shall we say. Um, but I think, you know, some irritation is good. Um, you know, people shouldn't feel too comfortable about things. Um, you know, the, it's complacency around certain things is what allows prejudices to grow and fester and yeah. take root i guess it is complacency and people not being capable of self-examination so occasionally a poet coming in space and agitating and making people ask themselves questions is a good thing could you could you agitate our audience a bit now or <laughs> i was gonna i was gonna i was i was i had the same idea or agitate thomas and i yeah i'd be curious if you could if you could do that constantly try to agitate us and, and it's not like a competition but i'm just curious like what would you what would you do or what how would you bring it if, if you would um, feel that, that that could be a goal trying to think of which one would be oh no actually no 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 that one that's too <laughs> Um, <laughs> that one's too far. That one's too far. Uh, now you got well, me. You got I me curious. Like, I quite but... like that that one now. I want to know. <laughs> yeah, me too. Know what... 
that that one's not on YouTube because I think it would get taken down for fantasy. So um, oh. we won't do that one. Okay, we'll do. This is one that I I we're, we're talking about agitating. This is one that I um, penned specifically for a work sort of day job work event. Um, and yeah, so sort of end stage capitalism and and its acolytes essentially um, at, a, at an event and they asked me to read a poem so I wrote this specific it's called Bucket List Capitalism is putting out a fire with a bucket with a trickle of a hole at the base of it and having to carry said bucket from the lake edge to the seat of it the fire that it is and what is your strategy in this? Is it a steady stream of half buckets, anxiously and hurriedly, backwards and forwards, forwards and backwards, more than enough to make sure of enough? Or is it more conservatively, in believing you have time to plug the hole before you go, and committing early to that belief, that efficiency and a lack of waste, especially in your own energy, is the key? Capitalism is the filling the bucket with poured possessions to a raging fire made of need. Capitalism is the bucket maker's greed. Selling straw is kindling with black market weed. There's a hole in my bucket, dear Liza, dear Liza. You used to sing to me that one bucket was enough for Maslow's hierarchy. You used to sing to me a hole in my bucket, dear Liza. That all abundance is about anxiety around security, around the fear of fire that our newsreels bleed. There's a hole in my bucket. You used to sing to me my bucket, a hole. Capitalism is black market buckets, reselling buckets to stockpile, to price fix, reading bucket diplomas at bucket universities, studying and amendments to the very definition of freedom, all about buckets and straw and a straw man's deeds. Capitalism is a media obsessed with fires, even the ones with deniers, even the ones we started abroad and still sell the straw to feed. Capitalism is the very idea of bucket, with buckets as seeds and bucket peer-reviewed year-on-year growth in perpetuity and bucket salesman arsonists suggesting the blood of refugees is just as good as water and better for the bucket's longevity. It's only went thicker when your family, you see. Capitalism is an endless game of buckets, bucketing down with rain and when into every life some rain must fall, the bucket is panacea, capsule. Capitalism is our willing acceptance and the total denial of all of this until we kick it. Bucket, that is. I, I, I imagine our particular audience would probably be, be cheering you on. <laughs> 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 I, I, I have no doubt they'd be cheering, cheering you on. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think there's there's space for everything. The, the other one, the other one I was going to potentially read um, is one which it's 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 titled Reparations, um, and it's a bit sweary. Um, so I I will. It's something which I I will put up on on social media at some point and, and hope that YouTube and Facebook gods don't take it down, but um, I yeah. suspect they probably will. So uh, I'm, I'm, I, was, I was still curious about uh, the, the capitalism poem. So did you have the effect you were hoping for when you when you read it to the to that audience? It was um, there was quite a few uh, sniggers from the 
the should we say people that like to think they're capitalists but actually realize they're, they're actually just selling their bodies um and those people who were directors were just decidedly uncomfortable so it had the effect i wanted so i think that i think there's this there's this um strange thing in our society at the moment where uh people that rise to the top of commercial institutions generally um the sorts of people that you wouldn't want running anything um and we're seeing this played out on national scale with our current government as well um you know self-interest we've we, a society is a society can be judged by the qualities it rewards and unfortunately our society society seems to reward um a certain level of selfishness um yeah. so we've got the government we serve and uh yeah the, 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 your book it poem strikes me as like like the emperor's new clothes um do you know that thomas where the, the little boy says that the emperor is is naked he's not wearing any clothes and yeah. is like is like something so obvious that capitalism is trying to put out a, a fire a massive fire with with a bucket with a hole in the bottom um and um yeah i'm not surprised people don't know what to do with that it's it is terrifying yeah it's 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 a strange it's a strange thing I, you know I, I i like to write about social justice um but i also like to write about sort of the the slightly insane um i think consumer economy the slightly insane belief that year-on-year -year growth in perpetuity on an island in space is possible. Um, yeah. it, it, the the absolute nonsense of it um, that well every country should aim toward growth every year forever is bonkers. Um, yeah. You know, they're just, you know, but no one seems to care. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah, we, we um, at New Gestalt Voices, um, one of the, the interventions we've sort of been scoping is um, is bringing Gestalt into some of these um, corporations that, that are, are doing some of, of this damage as, as a way of, of, of connecting people to themselves, connect, supporting people to connect to each other, to the natural world, um, and 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 come into more contact with with what's what's happening I, and i don't think we can just make corporations responsible for this because we're all in it together um but it, it's it it feels a real struggle like 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 how do you get people to pay <laughs> for uh for that it, it somehow it feels such a maybe that's not the point but somehow it feels such a um so it's a massive disjunct between where things are and yeah. and, and where and what what's sustainable. Um, that it's hard to know how to begin that conversation. It, it is. I think the I mean, I went to uni, university with a very interesting group of, of of people who mostly went into finance. So when I sort of meet with university colleagues uh, these days, uh, I've got sort of financial directors of insurance companies, etc friends of mine and they can see the nonsense and the folly of it but they're still part of the system um 
and the system pays them very well. Uh, so why would they want to rock the boat? There is there is definitely a level of I think it's that uh, it's like Nelson actually I see no ships. It's that 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 level of denial that kidology of if I don't pay any attention to the damage that we're doing, it's not happening, and then I don't have to worry about it, it's somebody else's problem. Mm -hmm. And there's quite a lot of people that are prepared to think like that long enough for them to secure their pension and then worry um, that their grandchildren won't have, won't be able to afford a house. But it's a bit too late, but, and I think, you know, we, I think people do need to be woken up to the notion that things are gonna have to change and probably in our lifetimes. Well, waking up in, implies anxiety, probably, for, for people who prefer to postpone waking up until they're retired. Possibly, yeah. I think there, I think there is definitely, I think with a lot of issues that drive me to write poetry, a lot of issues that drive, although a lot of po protest poets that I know, a lot of those issues are, could easily reframe them, people just being too afraid to face the reality mm -hmm. they don't want to they don't want to face the reality they're too anxious to face the reality so therefore the issue exists because they won't face it yeah. not because the issue is particularly large it just exists because people are too afraid to face it um yeah. and you know you, you can talk about uh, you can talk about decolonizing the cu cu curriculum or um, should we have Churchill statues up or should we, you know, all of these things in the round, they all feed back to this central anxiety of once we admit that the British Empire was a bad thing, who do we well, have you to apologise to? You can't say that on the right. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, censor, censor. <laughs> Apologies, <laughs> listeners, we didn't. If, if you if you acknowledge the idea that the, the the British Empire wasn't necessarily the um, the force for good in the world that quite a lot of people are brought up in this country to believe, if you face that if, if you face that reality, there's a lot of fear in people that there are things like reparations will have to be paid and all of these sorts of things and the world will will be turned upside down on its ear. But actually, the issue isn't. It's, it's not about that. It's not about yeah. re redirect. It's about acknowledgement. And yeah, yeah, until people acknowledge, you know, the, the fear is that if you acknowledge, there will be redress. But I don't actually think there will be redress. I think it's just a case of it would be perfectly all right to put a, a little plaque beneath, you know, Churchill statues, leave them up, but put a little plaque with a little bit more information about who he was. Yeah. You know, it, it, it people aren't... People don't want to tear the statues down. They just want people to acknowledge the fact that not all these people weren't paragons of virtue that people are holding them up, holding them up to be. Yeah. That's all it is. I, I hear what you say about there wouldn't necessarily be a need for reparations. Um, I, um, I, I I can both experience the the, 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 the massive injustice of, of, of racism and colonization and, and all that goes with it. And I'm also aware that as a white man, I'm a beneficiary of 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 all of that. Um, and and sometimes I can I, I do experience the kind of fear that as a consequence of um, 
more awareness of all of this, I will lose that privilege. Oh, yeah. um, I don't. I, I. I don't think you have to worry about the, the, the loss of privilege. It's <laughs> it's not right. So that it's not a zero sum game. It's not um, some person. Nobody loses. Nobody loses. It's it's a, people talk about it, it don't, it's become really popular. I hate, I hate the expression. I really hate it. Um, leveling up. There is um, the Tories are talking about leveling up the north. Um, when they're talking about leveling up the north, they're not talking about making London poorer. No, it's talking about making the southeast poorer. And everyone understands that. Everyone just gets that intrinsically. You know, oh, we'll level up the north. That's fantastic. We'll increase the opportunities in the north. No one in the southeast is going, if they level up the north, they're going to take my house down here in the southeast. No one is worried about that. But if you start talking about race and the idea that you want to open up spaces so that people feel more comfortable in, in spaces and, and it's more level, then, 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 then for some reason, people have this anxiety that that means that they will have less. But yeah. it, it's not about that. It's about, it's literally about it's the same concept. You want to level up the North. We, would, we just want to level it up so that it is a case that I don't. I remember with there was one. Uh, the, the, it's actually the, it's referenced in, in a poem um, of one of the ones I sent you. There, there was one conversation that I was having with uh, an ex-girlfriend where we had been out. We'd been out in Chelsea, Kings Road, in fact, um, and we were going home from having a date in Kings Road. And she wanted to flag a black cab. And she was she, a white English uh, woman who subsequently became my wife. Um, and I said, look, you should flag the cab here. You'll get it much quicker. And she didn't understand what I was saying to her. She just didn't get what I was saying to her. Um, and it took 20 minutes of me attempting to flag a cab. And then her about two. And then she got it. Um, but it's the, um, I guess there is all, all people, all, all it wanted to be was if I wanted to flag the cab, it should have taken me two minutes as well. I'm not, don't want it for it to, it to take her 20. It should just take me two as well. Yeah. That, that's the chat poem. Yeah, I think. that's the chat. Yeah. Shall you play Could, it? Would you want to want to read it? I'd love to hear it. I, I, it's an amazing poem. Um, yeah, you, you, if you want to, if you want to read it, that, 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 that's good I, as well. I can read it. Just... I heard it first at seven. The day they called me Gollywog. And as the word passed these lips to meet Mum's ear, here. And every time since then I'm back there, little boy lost there, wondering when I will grow up, praying and praying like that was ever enough, that this world will too. Strange then that this was to my childhood's very end, there in an 80s living room as mum and dad and I have the chat. And my dad tells the tale, regales again and again in his final days about his early years on this isle, how only black in the village was actually a thing, and how it was him, and how on a summer's day no more than eight, a policeman at the gate came to tell his mum he couldn't go to the corner shop alone again. He hadn't stolen anything, 
but the shopkeeper, like so many back then, wasn't one for details except for the single, simple one that still holds us back. And later that evening, Granny and Grandad give my eight-year-old dad the chat. And I rehearse it with a girlfriend, same night as our first tiff, late on a date about 2003, the year, not the hour, as she suggests we hail a cab. And her privilege hits me there, hits me square, hits me full force in the derriere. I won't be able to flag one here, I snap. Snarky, implying maybe it should be you wading in the flooded gutter in your good shoes. And later that evening, as I'm cleaning her boots, she and I have the chat. Well, this is how it's been for generations. Parents to their children, star-crossed lovers in explanation, in conversation after conversation after conversation after conversation, spilling out how being black, though having some advantages, will put you to be treated as lesser by some, make you a target to some, put you in the crosshairs of some. And this is a, something a quartet of Carl Lewis, Linford Christie, Usain Bolt and Jesse Owings can't outrun. It's a baton we're still passing. And this is me to you, my son. Well, that is how I'll have to give it to my boy, saying, I hope this world to, will grow so you never truly know this feeling of being so conspicuous and yet so small, of representing an entire skin tone all on your own alone, because I know whenever you feel the weight of that, it will crush you flat. And you deserve to be on show only when you choose to be. And now you're fully grown and in possession of our truth. I know you will guard it well until it is due. But I hope and pray, like that has ever been enough, that this ends with you. And hopefully one day, black man standing on a stage, you're merely putting a pen to a page, will stop being a political act. But until then, we'll have the chat. Yeah. It's tears. <laughs> I was thinking about, about John explaining how he found that you could connect um, through your anger, and yeah, that's what I, I I really I really felt how this is how this poem was really uh, allowing me to connect with with your experience. Well, from my experience, obviously. Yeah, it's a funny one. That one came about because, um, yeah, it, it came about because of a conversation. It came about because of the chat. Um, my little sister, I keep calling her my little sister. She's she's like thirty eight years old. Um, <laughs> but th my youngest sister um, uh, was explaining to her daughter, who just come back from a dance class, um, that the girl that said that she was ugly because her skin was the color of poo didn't know what she was saying and this is a five-year-old girl having a conversation with her mother and it put me in mind of the conversation that I had with my mum and when I was relating this story to a colleague in the office he was saying that he wasn't aware that that conversation ever happened and I said well that conversation happens in every black family with every child in every black family at least three or four times through their childhood, your parent will have to explain to their child what racism is, what it means, and that it's not their problem. And 
at that point, and it will very often be when the child is five, six, seven, um, at sometimes younger, um, a bit of their childhood is taken. And it's something which you never get back. Um, you have to, you view the world in a completely different way from that point. And it's it, the, a little bit of the innocence that everyone tries to protect for their children is gone. Um, but every, you know, every parent, every parent of, of color, the child of color in, in Britain and well, in predominantly white countries has, has had to have that conversation. And it's, yeah, so I wanted to shine a light on that. And I wanted to write a poem which would allow other people into that conversation um, and to know that it existed without, um, well, allowing them to empathize with, I guess, um, not put people, not put people off, but allow them to actually experience what it'd be like to be inside that conversation and to realize how much it will resonate with someone and ripple through their life from that point onwards. Have you have you had the conversation with your son? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, how, how old 13 is he? now. He's 13 now. Um, crikey, I'm trying to think how long ago it was now. Probably about six years ago. Um, and it was to do with um, a, a teacher at his school saying that he and a couple of his friends were the troublemakers in the class, but knowing full well actually who the troublemakers were in the class. <laughs> it was just like, yeah, well, you know, it, there is a certain level of you stand out in the class. So therefore, you know, if you're with the troublemakers, they will notice. Um, and it's that kind of thing. So, you know, and having to explain to him that you might have to keep your head down a little bit more than the others because people will notice when you misbehave more than when the others misbehave. And yeah, so that conversation I had with him when he was like, or seven um and then it's been a constant dialogue since then um but i think he gets it now mm. yeah. yeah i feel my breath taken a bit when you when you talk about this it's quite a harsh thing to say to to a kid to have to say that to a kid yeah but it, it, it's a it's um I, I think I've been lucky in that I like playing with words and so there's always a way to dress it. There's always a way to address the subject with any audience, even if your audience is six years old, mm. um, that will leave them feeling okay, I guess. Um, give them a little bit more information than they actually need sometimes is a good trick. Um, be a little bit more scientific than they need need to be so i don't quite get that and he goes you'll get it later um that's always a good trick uh but it, it's the the um yeah i think being able to articulate that idea to a child in a way that doesn't frighten them is quite difficult and i think yeah. it's something which not everybody will have the vocabulary for and sometimes you can actually see it in people's upbringings when they get older that their parents just simply weren't able to articulate it in a way that allowed them to feel comfortable with it. Um, so they spend their entire lives rebelling against the system and everything around them because they've never understood why the world has treated them that way. I, I hear I hear you and 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 
isn't a certain amount of rebellion against the system appropriate? But I, I'm not, not don't hear you comment. I, I, no, no, I think I think no, absolutely. Um, I, I I am very much for um, rewriting of all narratives and and changing everything. I'm very much for that. But I think that there is also, I guess, from from my from from my perspective, there's always an important there's there's an important part of there are certain things in the world that no matter how much effort you put into it, no matter how much you um, want to change it, you may not be change it in your lifetime so certain bits of you has always got to be left in reserve or how do i cope with this system because mm -hmm. if you don't you'll end up punching yourself out you'll end up um end up burning yourself out you'll end up smashing yeah. your head against a wall or knocking yourself out you know the, you have to the, the, at, there comes a point at which you have to be able to know how to park something how to work with it how to work around it because if you don't, you'll be endlessly frustrated and that's not good for your mental health or for anything else. So, Is that the talk you, you gave your son? Well, uh, yeah, it'd be not, in, not quite like that, but there is, no. there is a certain point at which you have to, I did explain to him that there's a certain point at which you have to keep your head down. You have to be better behaved than you perhaps feel you need to be, I guess um because it's going to make your life a lot easier and if your life is that much easier then you can use your energy to do other things if you're not having to constantly fight mm. you can use your energy to succeed so there is a there is a there's a push and pull thing going on there is a kind of i want people to agitate i want people to upset the apple cart but there's also that thing of the individual the duty of care that you have to an individual when you're communicating with them sometimes you have to say look just leave it walk away you know this is a fight you can't win this is not the hill to die on <laughs> that you know there'll be other times where you can march with thousands of people and and change something having this argument with this police officer right now is only going to get you in trouble mm. so and it's learning how to, to judge which situation requires which bit of you i guess so I, I feel like I, I want to um, I want to say how much of a, a generosity it feels to me there is in in you writing that poem, the chat, and and inviting us into that um, into that process. Um, yeah, I, I I I just I mean I hear what you say about. About deciding deciding on which which battles to fight, but um, you know clearly you 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 don't desert the battlefield. Here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I guess I probably read Cervantes when I was too young and impressionable. I no, there there is a there is a bit of me that is, I guess, prepared to tilt at windmills. I, there, is, there is a bit of me that just has, you know, give me a cause and I'll march for it kind of thing. There is a bit of me that has that in me. And I think that's just, that's a personality thing rather than anything to do with racial identity or anything. I'm just, 
I'm just quite a defiant person, um, defiant of authority and all of that. That's just a natural thing. So protest poetry comes easy because if, you know, if, if something gets under my skin, I can write about it quite easily. Um, and I'm quite happy to stand up on, on a stage and wave a flag uh, or plant a flag at the top of the hill so other people don't have to. Um, I'm quite happy to do that because I know that not everyone has the energy to do it. That's, I mean, that's sort of the other thing that I was sort of feeling sensing as, as you were reading both the capitalism poem, but also that the chat, I was wondering what it takes of you energetically to, to go to those places, go to that place of sort of desperation around the future of the planet, um, go to that place of racialized pain you say easy, but but also something not everybody could do. And I, I wonder what your experiences of doing that. I think, Over yeah, it definitely takes energy. It definitely takes energy. And I think sometimes you can, so you can write a poem and it can take a couple of days or, you know, a couple of hours, depending on how easily it comes. And you can get it down and it'll be, it'll be a piece of piece of writing that's sort of a few hundred words and it takes three three minutes to read but it's a lifetime's worth of you know pain or something on a particular subject poured into this and you, you've you've then edited it and read it back and rehearsed it and you've had to go back to those feelings again and again and again and again and again and again and again and, again. and that can be exhausting and sometimes you can get up on stage and you've read this particular poem which happens to be about i've got one which i, I wrote a little while ago which was about uh being assaulted and you have you revisit the emotion every time you read it and that can be quite difficult and sometimes it can catch you when you're tired and you just like oh that's just knocked me for six um but there is a also that thing of sometimes you don't know what you think about something until you write it down and sometimes sharing sometimes you don't know what you think about something you write it down you've read it back and you go oh wow i didn't know no i felt like that about that um and that helps you, and that helps you process it um and then there's also that thing of when you share that with somebody else who has been in a similar situation but hasn't been able to articulate it and hasn't been able to even begin the process of processing it by standing up on a stage and reading it to them you give them the tools to unpick something that they've been dealing with for ages and sometimes that response that you get from people at the end of the night can make everything worth it um you get one person come up to you and go that really helped me that can make everything worth it. So all the mm. stuff that you've done and all the, the, I suppose, rehearsing pain um, that you've done running up to that, somebody, just one other person saying, I totally get that, I totally feel that, that's really helped me, can really lift you again and make it all worthwhile. So yeah, there is a, it's, it's all internally, eternally a conversation and kind of, it's nice to just be in the conversation with people. I'm quite listening to you in, in AO. I'm quite impressed 
with with how you describe that that process and how how you manage to to be with these painful emotions and to sort of postpone them until the right moment yeah i mean the, the, the process of writing poetry varies from poet to poet but there's always a process there's always some part of the process where you have to reach for words um and sometimes when you're reaching for words on a difficult subject it can be you know you have to be careful um and you have to look after yourself and you have to be prepared for the sort of the ugly crying over your laptop um because you've accessed an emotion that you've buried for ages um, and you have to be prepared for that and that's part of that's part of what it is to be a writer and that's part of what it is to be a poet but actually when you speak to you know you speak to most poets and speak to most writers they will have a they'll all have a story about the a piece that they've started that they haven't been able to finish or a piece that they've started reading and and they've just broken down and haven't been able to finish it and there's a, a very a famous poet of mine a favorite poet of mine um roger robinson who won the ts Eliot prize back in 2019 um who described poets as people who are radically vulnerable um there is there is a little bit of radicalism in our vulnerability and i think i think that that probably sums it up you know we will make ourselves vulnerable for the sake of radicalism it's mm -hmm. changing the world by being vulnerable is quite a it's quite a trick um but it's one that we're all kind of attuned to and, and one that we will we'll, you know we, we see value in not so distant from therapy as I, <laughs> as I hear you therapy with a with with a more public platform yeah indeed yeah. well the, yeah i mean we we do uh, open mic nights occasionally you know you have duty of care to people that come up and they will say they will share some very traumatic thing and you have to be able to when you're a host of a night or or you're sort of one of the more senior poets of a night you have to recognize when someone has um shared something they probably weren't ready to share in public oh, yeah. um and you have to know how to put your sometimes literally um your arm around them and mm. after they've been on stage and all of that sort of thing and you have to recognize those signs and i think there is a um someone made the joke that it's cheaper than therapy but it actually isn't because it doesn't help my therapy um so it's a false economy um going up and standing in front of people and just blurting out stuff actually isn't going to help you because um audiences as i've said before um can be very strange and fickle and sometimes they're very drunk and, and doesn't doesn't you know, it help you they will... doesn't help you when somebody comes up at the end of the show and and acknowledges um a shared experience or that he that he made him understand him or her understand things or Oh, very much so. Yeah. Very much so. I think um, that's why we do it. We do it for the connection. Yeah. We do, you know, the poets will. Do, I mean, there's there is some ego in it, but but mainly it's about connection. It's about sort of connecting with other people and and meeting of souls and and all of that sort of thing. It's it's kind of you want to be able to give people tools to imagine a better world or to 
um, help them deal with their own pain or to put themselves in the shoes of other people that they've never really put yeah. that they've really thought about empathizing with you've got an opportunity to do all of that and connect people with things and i think that is the real gift of the art form as compared to others is you can be quite direct visual art doesn't do it music doesn't do it film does to an extent and theater um but then poetry and literature are, are the one you know you can really connect with people and really help them with issues and well, I, I I do appreciate the term uh, radical vulnerability, and it it does bring me back to to Gestalt, and we have about eight minutes left in the conversation. It feels like a like a great um, circle we made, and 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 coming back to to Gestalt. Um, I think if if there's one thing that I learned from from my training, is is the power of radical vulnerability, and. And of course, there is there is some theory behind behind it when you when you get a therapy training, but a lot of the practice is about is about being radically radically vulnerable with with the people we work with, and 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 to see how connecting and how how facilitating connection through that vulnerability is um, is what people benefit from. Yeah. So so I'm I'm quite st striking by the by the resemblance also when you said there's some ego in it but uh but it's mainly about connection i felt that's a phrase you could use for for therapists <laughs> as well <laughs> yeah yes hey thomas hey <laughs> <laughs> i, I wonder I mean, we do have a bit of, bit of time um is is there another poem that you could share with us rick um yeah i think what can do this one um this one's called lifting the lid i always felt that schrodinger's cat was black so damned familiar to be that experiment of a white man to be put in a box to be both alive and dead and theoretical for the sake of someone else's critical thinking just for someone else's education just an impossible image inside someone else's head subjected, subjugated, sold and bred and made undead by this our shared history that neglects to mention how the torture and murder of small animals is actually an early warning sign of psychopathy. But you know this already. And I know this intimately, having an affinity with that moggy, frequently while out jogging, doing laps at dawn and watching others scorn as they cross themselves and cross the street to keep away from me, to keep me from crossing their path. And you may laugh, but I always felt that Schrodinger's cat was black. So damned familiar, that feeling of being or not being at the whims of fate, the superpositions and quantum states of being a number one for weeks, sexual fantasy and the lynch mob scapegoat simultaneously. This eternal duality of the word hung, about being corrected once by an old white man to say hanged, as if by way of reparations or apology, he should improve my grammar and silence me subtly, put a lid on me and bottle me, to store me away in a cool and dark place as if being seen and heard might make me real instead of the velveteen victim of the white man's burden that he'd now rather forget and stuff into a box with a poison pill, be dispatched, be euphemistically lost. And so, like Schrodinger's cat, I am both fully assembled and flat-packed. Numbered irrationally, the root of two worlds, some insist, are mutually exclusive, black and British.
two worlds squished and sealed into this, to be or not to be by these imperial measurements in ghetto experiments, to be or not to be poisoned by this maddening society that both co-opted and rejected me, adopted and neglected me, and still imagines me taking jobs while stealing welfare simultaneously and continuously puts me in a box. And then ends up hating that box when it comes to define me and leaves it feeling all of the guilty of its acts, recalling its history, our shared history, founded on all the murders we would rather not see. Early warning signs of psychopathy that, the mutability of that. So you see, I always felt that Schrodinger's cat was black. So damned familiar to me was his story. This duality of being and not being forever at the mercies of those out there doing the seeing and their curiosities. And please, please, don't get me started on my bisexuality. Yeah, I love it. I love how, you're, how your interest for science sort of blends with, with your social justice work. That's nice, yeah. Yeah, it's... um. Like I say, it's in the detail. I love, I love the details of science. I love the little facts and the thought experiments and the, and trying to apply those to, to the wider world and, and trying to, I suppose, help people unlock the wider world with thought experiments that yeah. exist in other disciplines. Yeah. yeah, you got me smiling a few times there. I was looking at Thomas with them. Um discomfort at that time <laughs> <laughs> i i imagine um yeah i i imagine that might be, be one of the hard-hitting ones that you you bring out on occasion to make audiences uncomfortable it is actually yeah um but it's also one of the ones which it's also the one of the ones i enjoy because it ends on a laugh very often um, in front of an audience. And so no matter um, how agitated or irritated I've made them, I've always, I give them a laugh as well at the end. So that that is, um, it's, it's like I say, you have a duty of care to your audience and the, it's a nice one because it's got, it's, it's got a couple of little jokes in there which would keep people smiling, um, even though it's actually quite angry. <laughs> You're making me into an object as a black man. I'm both alive and dead at the same time in your society. Yeah. 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 So, um, your your bisexuality. Can we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you kind of made the invitation. Um, well, yeah, yeah. That that's um that's a that that's one of those ones again where, where society kind of tells you that there's a certain way to be and when you realize that you don't necessarily fit into the way society wants you to be and you kind of have that awakening you, you have to then redefine yourself and i think in some I, I think there is something to be said for doubt and having to redefine yourself in terms of all aspects so whether that's race or sexuality or gender or if you have to actually question and 
when you actually have to question and actually have to justify bits of yourself um, to yourself and to the wider society, um, that's uh, that's actually strangely, as much as it is painful, it's also a little bit of a gift because it means that you're you're totally aware and in charge of those aspects of your life. Whereas some people will wake up in the morning and um, they never have any friction with wider society and therefore they never have to question any bit of themselves. Mm. And sometimes you meet these people when they're sort of 30 and 40 and they've never had, they've never considered anything about themselves. So why do you like that? Why do you do this? Why do you go there on holiday? Why do you do this? Why do you go to that bar? Why do you go to that bar? Why do you do this? Why do you like football? All of those sorts of, all those kinds of questions, they've never even asked themselves. They, they just do them. Yeah. But um, when you are different and the book that I wrote sort of tells from the other box it's basically it's about stories from the box which is different to the default norm of society so whichever demographic box that you tick that makes you different sometimes that gives you a story which is different to other people and um and there's a, there's there's power in that rather than you know there's power in those stories it strikes me, I see you a little bit like Schrodinger's cat. Um, you're, you're kind of inviting me to put you in the, the, the black, the person of colour box, and, and then, oh no, you're, you're bisexual. <laughs> you're, not in, you're not straightforwardly in that box. Well, yeah, it's become a bit of a buzz term now, but intersectionality is something which I definitely believe in. There are, there are too many, there are too many variables in society to be. Oh, identity politics is a difficult one, but there are too many variables in society for any one person's identity to be, to be, fixed and immutable. Um, everything is in relation to everything else that you've got so many so many different spectrums running through every individual that I, I, f I find the whole idea of identity politics insane I mean if you look at um, from the Zimbardo experiment for example mm -hmm. where you have um, prison guards and um, prisoners as from a from a student body and you divide them and divide them into two groups and they start identifying in these two groups and then they start fighting even though they had no reason to fight before they were separated into two groups by the experiment. And then the experiment has to be stopped early because it gets so vicious. Um, identity and in society is pretty much exactly the same. You divide society up by whichever delineation you want to divide them up by, and people will gravitate to the center of the groups that they've been put into. And then the groups get further apart, and then they start fighting with each other. This is what we're witnessing on a daily basis across Twitter and across everything. And I just want people to try and fix themselves and themselves alone on each of the spectrum and say, I am all of these things, this is why I am. That makes me slightly more privileged than you in this situation, but slightly less privileged than you in this situation and understand the dynamic in between each individual when you meet each individual. Like I would say to um, a female colleague of mine, I have male privilege. I can walk home from this night out. 
you will have to get a taxi. Yeah. I'm aware of that. But I'm also aware that if I do walk home, I'm likely to get stopped and searched by the police. That there is there, there are certain um <laughs> you know, there are trade-offs and payoffs and all of those sorts of things. And we just have to be a little bit more aware of who we are as individuals. Yeah, I like rather how, than who we are when we're in groups. I like how you make it into a, into a spectrum and how you I remember you you were also just before in a conversation you were saying something like there's also an advantage to being black that it it has certain advantages that I think you said <laughs> that also made me, made me think like yeah, okay it's not just it's not just black and white pun intended <laughs> there is there is more variety in 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 the privileged and the non-privileged um, oh no absolutely I mean absolutely before in the before times when people used to sit had to sit next to you on trains and stuff um you know if i was on a train i i would be the person who had this next to him taken last because i'm a six foot black guy with headphones on yeah. um it would that that would be the last seat to be taken and i that that's something that's a benefit to me sometimes you know um yeah. but yeah. <laughs> you have, you have an easier ride it's like, like in like in first it's, class there's less people around you yeah it's it, it's you know there, 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 are, there are loads of loads of things and, and sometimes you just have to go well you know I, i i lose in that area but i gain in that area and i think everyone has got to i think people just need to try a little bit harder to see where they gain in areas in a society which is set against them there are certain things that you do benefit from yeah. as well so All right, Rick, we're sort of coming to the end of our conversation. Yeah, it was really, uh, it was very inspiring for me. Thanks. Really no, thank it. you for having me on. Yeah. It was um good, very good chat. I've, I've got some ideas as well from that. So that's, that's quite cool. Oh, cool. Great. I was, I was wondering, do, do you want a bit of exposure? Do you want to sort of share your YouTube channel and your book or something? Um, probably the best place to find me is i'm i'm on twitter quite a lot as, as i i recently described it to a friend of mine uh twitter is like seeing the face warts and all of humanity and it is like the maddening visage of an elder god it is it's like the yeah it will drive you mad if you look too long into it it's like the abyss if you stare long into it it will stare into you um so you'll find me on twitter at multi-stable um which is multi as in many and in stable as in horse, as in multi-stable perception. And um, yeah, because I felt that was quite cool, a lot of poetry. Um, so at, at multi-stable on Twitter. Um, and yeah, you can follow me and all the latest updates on there. Okay. Thank you, Rick. Um, we'll probably try to follow you from the NGV account. And <laughs> um, I think we have about five followers, so that will massively up your <laughs> followership. <laughs> no but thank you for having me on that was that was great fun yeah yeah i really enjoyed it so i i noticed there was one poem that you sent us that you didn't read it was the first words mm -hmm. so i should uh, i suggest for for closing we'll 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 play that and 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 we'll say goodbye to you be, before we play it but that will be like the the end sort of extended jingle of of tonight's show okay fantastic well thank you Yeah, I'm curious how you've been inspired. What your what your little shoots of new ideas are? 
Um, well, the I think that there's definitely some in in the synergy between poetry and and the, the radical vulnerability and gestalt therapy and what Thomas was saying about about that sort of synergy. That I think there there might be a um, a poem which might be a conversation between a therapist and a poet. Wow! Wow! That could be put together. So I'm going to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. You'll have to dedicate it to us. You realise? <laughs> oh, of course I will. I'm <laughs> <laughs> credited. <laughs> <laughs> I I really appreciated your erudition, Rick. Like like all of the different worlds that you you bring together, and um, and um, it, it's 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 also it's really a privilege to to kind of witness um, how you move in the world. And I don't, I, I you know the amount of work that you you do all the time to be you. It, it's um, it's inspiring. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Rick. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Have a good night. You too. Cheers. Bye bye. Good night. Bye bye. For years, you bite your tongue, moderate your rage, play dumb, pretend you don't hear what they say, maintain a dignified silence, stay quiet in the face of snarling with your boiling blood, one drop polluted with fight and flight where neither is appropriate. This is an office job, not a pub, so you bite your tongue. You ignore the patronizing tones, even though your education, both street and academic, means that you know better than they assume, and they assume they know better than you. You maintain a dignified silence, allowing to explain how your personal experience is wrong, is far-fetched, and there is familiarity to their contempt. You pretend that shop floor security aren't playing chaperone as you browse. You keep your head down as not to arouse suspicions already evident. You touch nothing because evidence. You keep calm while explaining for the thousandth time that day while it isn't okay to profile in this way. It is a heated exchange, but you play dumb when asked to explain. You bite your tongue. This is not the hill to die on. You respond politely to, where are you from? Again and again and again. Explain the region, and then the city, and then the town, and then the street, and then the fucking maternity ward. Reductio ad absurdum, get bored, so you go the other way. Explain the country, and then the continent, and then the planet, and then the interstellar neighborhood. The galaxy of possibilities that they refuse to see, you are never from where they need you to be. There is familiarity to their contempt, so you bite your tongue. You listen to others explain how you don't belong in the land where you were born, the only one that's ever kept you warm. You keep smiling, a little lopsided now. Your tongue is heavy and swollen from all the biting. You smile, but not with busy teeth. Not like the cartoons, not like the Jim Crow ones. You don't dance anymore for fear of compliments. You bite your tongue, you bite your tongue, you bite your tongue. Remembering what your parents said once. It's not your job to hold the lantern to show others out of the dark. Until suddenly one day, you wake at a ripe old age and see that the lantern was never for them. It was yours alone, a reminder of the sun. There is familiarity to their contempt, but there is fight and flight upon your tongue. Thank you. Do 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 do
Gestalt. 